Hi, and welcome to this week's uh, Science of Fiction. And as ever, I'm joined by Andrew Holding. Hello. And this week we have a special guest, Nick Crumpton. Hello. Um, who I've described as a zoologist, co-editor of Blue Sky Films, freelance journalist, occasional beard haver. Today he has a beard. I do have a beard. And ukulelist. Do you think that's an accurate description? Uh, that's not bad. That's kind of put everything that I do um, in a few sentences. Yes, that's me. That's good. I, saw, I stole it from your website. <laughs> um, and he's... Well, I, I said kind of flippantly you're here to talk primarily about long dead mammals. Okay. But there will also be, I, I think, some some alive animals and some, and some we, long dead we, other animals. We can totally do that. Yeah, there's, there's lots of alive animals that we could talk about, so I'm happy to talk about them. Um, so, uh, before we... Well, we, I think we'll start by going back in time to when there were animals who were alive and now are dead and they're alive again. Um, but before that, we're, so if you're listening live, then we're happy to answer any questions you might have. Or if you, ha- if you want to talk about your favourite dead animals, then why not email studio at camfm.co.uk. Or if you're listening on the web, then there's a little box and you type in that and then you will have a message in our computers and that'll be great.
So that was, of course, the theme to Jurassic Park by John Williams. Uh. Which, um, so, Nick, is, Nick, this is a pretty important... Uh, <laughs> is, this just, is it just the music that's important to you or the film? It's such an important film for me. Like, I remember seeing it and just being scared out of my wits when I saw, like, you know, not being able to go into... Um, God, we, we, we went to my nan's house after watching it and I couldn't go into the lounge because it was dark and I was scared there was going to be a velociraptor in there. But even now, like, if you give me a date in the 90s, that's my point of reference. 1993, it's either post or pre-Jurassic Park. That's what I have to work out in my head. So, so you have your, your, your own kind the system with you know, the years defined around that. It's great, yeah, so, yeah. So we're, we're, we're what, in year, we're in the year 20 now, I guess? Um, uh, tw- 19? 19, yeah. Wow. 19AJP. <laughs> <laughs> I feel at home now, this is great. As a small child, though, I did get very confused between David Attenborough and Richard Attenborough. Yeah, um, Richard, well, mm, he's, uh, Richard Attenborough still, he's, he's a great guy, but he's no Dave. He's he, no he, Dave A. But it does mean that when you've got Jurassic Park, where it's fiction or not, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it's it's um, it's a pretty astonishing film, yeah, and, and and they did a pretty good job, really. Like if, if if we think about what they knew about dinosaurs at the time, they they did do a good job. Um, there are some things that are a little bit peculiar, like you know having Dilophosaurus with this big frill that comes up and it's like spitting ink, and it's completely. I mean, how on earth we could say that? There's there's, there's no evidence for so anything ba- to do based with this. on bones. How how can yeah, we tell that? Exactly. You know, and and, and although there are these amazing um, depositional um, um, areas where we see really fantastic things in fossils like feathers we know now um, generally we just see bone and hard material and some stuff is just I don't know it's a little tricky to try and say okay yeah it had like um, it, it, it can shoot venom what no I don't know maybe that was just Spielberg having a fun time so how do we get the colour? Colour can be found from feathers. So there's been a lot of research recently done um, looking at uh, what's preserved in the feathers. Like, there's this whole like geochemical um, way that we can have a look at the things that are preserved within these feathers from you know these 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 absolutely beautiful places. Um, but actual skin, there's there's no real way that we can know that. We, we we can occasionally find you know imprints of skin, so we can see kind of what the outside of them look like. But when it comes to colour, there's like absolutely no way. And in fact maybe it's a little bit tricky trying to work out the colour of feathers because it looks like some colours kind of just last for a lot longer than others. So recently there was some talk about what colour Archaeopteryx was and they were saying, oh okay, so it's going to be really, really dark colours, but it might be that various other colours be- because of the way that they're formed um, the, the, the sort of um, uh, way that the molecules are shaped it's, it's not really recorded in the fossil record unfortunately, but it still gives us a little clue about kind of, you know, a broad colour patterns on them, which is, which is pretty nifty considering these things are older than 65 million years old. So if it was something like zebra stripes, that would be the sort of thing we could see quite easily. Um, quite big contrasting things. Big contrasting things, yeah. I would say that that's, that's, that's something that, 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 that can be seen. You but can't get more contrasting than a zebra. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so, so that's pretty cool. But, but, but this, this, this wasn't known, like, back in 1993, you know, um, so, so, uh, zero so, JP. When, uh, so this is, why they all ha- this is why they all, they're all featherless and... Yeah, sure. Uh, but, 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 but then if you watch um, uh, Jurassic Park 3, obviously, you know, they, they, they change what the velociraptors look like and suddenly they're, they're, they're coated in feathers and they have these little quills coming off the back of their head. Which, which maybe they can explain away in the plot as being, you know, in, you know advances in, in, <laughs> yeah, um, like in d- d- DNA resurrection technology. <laughs> I haven't seen Jurassic Park 3, but I want to see Jurassic Park 4. It's, oh, Jurassic Park 4. Have you seen the, uh, the, the, the sort of murmurings on the internet about the storyline that was... So it was this week they leaked the sort of concept art for 
dinosaur super soldiers, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty ha- ha- half dino, half human, yeah, half chicken, half. <laughs> it was, it, it was it, there were a lot of halves, which didn't add up to this two hundred percent a person. Yeah, this is something that keeps coming back. Like whether you you know it's it's it's, it's Turok or whether it's Jurassic Park. You know, pe- pe- people are obsessed with trying to um, imagine dinosaurs in like humanoid kind of you know version. So so there was things going back a, uh, like maybe twenty years, and people were talking about oh if dinosaurs had kept evolving, maybe they would have turned into slightly humanoid looking things. And it's just it's such Old- a strange. thing to say. What do they look like for Greys from the X-Files? <laughs> yeah, I, yes. like, I, I really think this one, we've got a model, we'll paint it green. <laughs> uh, but it's really weird that, you know, it's just, and, and, and these were some pretty big scientists who were, you know, um, coming up with these conjectures, and there's still this anthropocentric view that obviously if they kept evolving for 65 million years then they turn into something like us, because we're awesome. And that's what every other animal that is still around today looks like. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Mm. But, yeah, this, this whole, you know, they, they clone the... Um, the uh, dinosaurs by mm. f- finding dinosaur DNA inside a bug preserved in amber or something? Yeah, so obviously <laughs> thing is, if everyone knows the story of Jurassic Park. Um, but yeah, so the whole thing is getting captured in amber, like, that is astonishing and, and, and is found everywhere just like um, uh, last week there was this incredible find of um, a spider that was uh, preying on a wasp and that was you know captured in, in, the, a- amber. in the act yeah of, in the of, act of eating the wasp of whatever. predating a wasp so for people who don't know amber I, I could be wrong here it's, the, it's just tree sap isn't yeah it? yeah that's 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 all it is so it's basically maple syrup it's a, yeah it's maple syrup something like this that was last week yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why they stole all that maple syrup <laughs> oh because in the in the, the Quebec uh, maple syrup reserve they found you know trace DNA of um, dinosaurs or something <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's where the story came from but it's, it's it's such a shame like knowing what we know now about how long DNA can last like uh, there, there was a study that came out very recently I think it was like this week in proceedings of Royal Academy and they said and, and, and they showed that the, the, the half-life as it were of, of, of DNA is only about 500 years taking you know that they, they they took a load of moa skeletons and they took the um, you know the, they, they were looking for DNA within these uh, these long bones these these leg bones and, and all over the mowers and I found that it was it, it was around about 500 years that you really start getting um, um, a drop off on uh, uh, the DNA that's contained within like ov- obviously there, there, there are some other fantastic finds like you know there's the, the there are some Neanderthal Remains um, from like a hundred thousand years ago, and bits of DNA have been found in there. Um, but even that's debated. Yeah, it I is mean, debated there. because it's, they've only got fragments. They, they yeah. say it means we definitely were interbreeding with it. But sure. I've seen counter arguments that come from that. Yeah, and that's not to not the original study was still incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what we can sequence from nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 it's it's astonishing. And uh, but if, if, even going further back, I mean, there was um, uh, there's there's someone who works in America, um, uh, Mary. Uh, Schweitzer, um, and she has managed to take proteins from a tyrannosaur um, leg bone. Well, I think it's a leg bone. Uh, again, this study is kind of, you know, some people are saying, oh, are you absolutely sure? But it, it, it does look like these are proteins, but it's not like a whole strand of genetic material. You know, those are always going to degrade and be full of holes, which obviously they talk about in the film and then say, oh, we uh, filled the gaps frog. with frog. <laughs> Why frog DNA? Why not birds or crocodiles? Like, so, Chris amphibians? Cro- what? Are crocodiles descended from... Um, dinosaurs? Okay, so like um, uh, crocodiles and dinosaurs um, form uh, part of the same big swathe of animals. They're called the archosaurs. Um, so that contains like crocodiles, um, dinosaurs, and obviously birds. Um, and you know, birds came from from within the dinosaur. Um, but um, uh, so out alien stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but uh, so, so crocodiles and uh, the, the the dinosaur lineage um, kind of separated a long, long time ago. And actually, when when dinosaurs were first evolving, like back in the Triassic period, there was this period where um, there were also um, uh, crocodilia form esque animals called Cruritarsans that were evolving at the same time. And so, for a while, it was you know we, uh, the the world wasn't sure who was going to win out, the dinosaurs or the Cruritarsans. It could have as easily have been the age of the Cruritarsans rather than the age of the dinosaurs. But um, it just so happened that dinosaurs really got into that um, um, to the niches that they need to get into and, uh, and, and evolved. And unfortunately the, for, the, for the dinosaurs, the niches they found themselves in were susceptible to Catastrophe. Yeah, this is this this is very true too. Um, I mean, so so this is something that maybe we can talk about later as well because um, uh, we can talk about the, the the whole idea of extinctions and um, uh, mass extinctions in general just being a really peculiar thing that happened. And yet, there's always like a baseline, continue, you know, um, uh, thing of um, um, evolution that's happening all the time. Um, but yeah, or uh, just sort of um, uh, talking about Jurassic Park in general. They did a pretty good job, like, you know, showing how fast, like, um, well, mm, actually showing how fast, like, T-Rex could run and stuff. Maybe they got this a little bit wrong. One, one of my really good colleagues is this guy, John Hutchinson, and uh, he um, uh, did a study ab- about ten years ago now, which was um, to have a look at how, how these things could have run, how, how fast T-Rex really could have gone. And this was based on um, uh, how large the muscles could have grown, you know, how, how fast stride length was and all this sort of stuff. And this is all based on bone structure. Yeah, it's bone structure and low and loads of um, uh, um, uh, computer analyses and stuff, but, but but also validated by looking at extant organisms and how large muscles can grow on top of bone. So this is kind of biomechanics. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, it, it look, I mean, so, so so there's this fantastic scene in Jurassic Park where they're, they're being chased by the T-Rex, and it looks like the Jeep's going about 30, 40 mm. miles an hour, and you know... Um, uh, Reason not to buy an electric car. <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum is like in the back, you know, being like, hey, you must go faster. Um, and yeah, we know now that probably T-Rex, and, and this is through John's work, um, probably T-Rex could have maybe gone about 17, 18, 19 miles an hour, something like that. So like, the Jeep would have been fine. Yeah, the Jeep would have been fine, but it was a very, very exciting scene. Um, and if you actually watch that scene back, the, the animation of the T-Rex running, as it were, it's actually not running because they, the uh, team, like Industrial Light Magical, whoever it was that did it, they realised that if actually they had an animal this big and they really showed it running, you know, with both feet off the ground at the same time, it just looked ridiculous. <laughs> so if you have a look in the scene, the, the T-Rex always has one foot on the ground at every one time, uh, but they just, you know, um, uh, throw the camera around all over the place and it looks like it's going really, really fast, but in fact... It's just kind of strolling. It's just kind of strolling. It, 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 it probably couldn't run as it was, as, as, as we define it today. Okay, well, I think we're now going to move, well, pe- people can correct my history, but we'll move forward in time. Old man, how have you been? Old man, it's such a shame to see you this way, freezing it out, your own little ice
So that was Ice Age by St. Vincent and David Byrne, which I've been meaning to listen to for a really long yeah, time. Yeah, it's a good so, album. So, I'm, I'm glad we've had this opportunity to, <laughs> to, to introduce me to some new music. <laughs> so apparently I was right in thinking that the Ice Age everyone talks about is the one is after the Jurassic period. Yeah, completely. Jurassic period, I mean, you know, uh, 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 millions of years ago, uh, Ice Ages, you're thinking more sort of uh, tens of thousands of years ago. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you think about like, like, like mammoths in general and the things that you, you, you generally think about at this time period, you know, mammoths are still around probably about like, you know, five, six thousand years ago. So okay. massively recently. They were just too tasty. Too tasty. Yeah, too slow. And they could just be chased off a mountain somewhere and, and, and stone well, speared. Because that's what they did, didn't they? They actually herded them off mountains. Is that right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's what I said just right. Am I thinking of how native Indians, uh, um, um, American Indians um, uh, sort of hunt things? Am I getting confused? Oh, let's just say it's mammoths. Yeah. There, there, there's certainly Th- some people who hunt things while we're chasing them off cliffs yes. in some story. As long, <laughs> and as long as you can get to the bottom of the cliff to collect them, that seems like a really good idea. Yeah, no, sounds good. It's a lot easier than probably going after a mammoth. Quite <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but just playing Ice Age, um, we, we were talking about um, uh, Ice Age the movie and like some of the characters in that, and um, like Sid the Sloth just being this uh, utterly lovely character, but just not making much sense. And he's supposed to be a giant ground sloth. So, so, so obviously these 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 things are around in in, in North America. They're they're part of a family of uh, animals called Xenarthrans, which are um, sloths and anteaters um, and other things that are now extinct, like Glyptodons, which are these huge, enormous, um, almost like spherical armored. Creatures. They're really, really funky wow. things, um, but hardly any of them are, are, are extant. You know, you know, still, still alive today. And and, and so you know, you, you have these things like the giant ground sloth, which Sid the sloth is supposed to be one of these um, from North America. And yet now we have these really lazy, really um, awful sloths that just spend all their time hanging around in trees. I saw an amazing video of um, a zoo uh, bathing then their, their, their newly born sloths, oh. and then t- to dry them, they don't towel them off; they just hang them upside down, <laughs> and, and they drip, they drip dry for a while. Which you know, I guess, that's what they're going to do anyway. So. But nice. I, I want to know. So sloths only come out of a tree to go to the toilet. Yeah. Um, so, so why? Well, if you're that lazy, why don't you just do it in the tree? I have no idea. They they, they they traverse all the way down the tree that they're in, which obviously leaves them open to predation from leopards and everything else that that, that, that would like to eat them. And yet they do. They come all the way down to defecate. Really <laughs> odd behaviour. Someone should um, warn them that it's not the best thing to do. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just like to get out once in a while. That's yeah. the only reason they get to go. I'm going to go down. I'm going to, you know, take my time. I'm going to look. Well, obviously, we're going to take my time. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, you know, okay. Well, you know, I've got. It's, it's going to be a few hours, but it'll take me that long to get on the tree. So I better get going now. Exactly. Claw your way down. Well, mm-hmm. So you do research onto sloth ears, particularly the inner ears. Yeah, that was something that came out of some research we did um, uh, recently with, with, with some colleagues that we've got in France and um, um, a load of other people um, here in the department. So we're really, really interested in the structure of the inner ear. So obviously that's really important for, for hearing because it has the cochlea in it. Um, but it also has the, the, the organ of balance, which is the, the it's called the vestibular apparatus. So if you imagine the cochlea, that weird like um, helical snail sort of of shape and then coming off from that there are three loops and depending on sort of how long these loops are and the angle that they are to each other you can actually infer you can tell a lot about the behavior of animals um, so how active they are um, whether they you know if, if, if they're swinging around trees and they usually have very very slender very long um, semicircular canals they're called um, is, this, is this so that the, the the constant swinging doesn't interfere with their hearing too much well it's not actually about the hearing so it's 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 a really separate part of the ear so, so okay. it's like half of the inner ear is hearing and the other half it's is, is balanced yeah it's, it's 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 purely 
balance. And so if if you're going to be swinging around, you have a very very active lifestyle, then you need a lot of accuracy. You you, you need to really know what's happening balance wise. And so by having slightly different shaped inner ears, you can get a really really precise measure of what's happening. And there's loads and loads of weird really funky things. So 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 whales, for instance, have really really peculiar inner ears, probably because they don't really have a neck as such. So when they sort of yaw and roll under the water, their 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 head moves in the same way as their entire body does. And so they 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 have to sort of sort out what that's telling its brain. You know, it, it, they 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 have a very precise idea of, of of balance, but their inner ear kind of reflects that. So we can actually tell an awful lot about animals' behaviour. So we're good at balancing. We're very very good at balancing. Yeah, um, uh, primates in general have like um, uh, a very very good um, sense of balance. But we were kind of interested to see uh, what the inner ear of sloths is like, because obviously they have a really really radically different lifestyle to a lot of other animals. As you said, you know, they're just hanging around. Apart from that's my teenage years. But <laughs> <laughs> um, hanging upside down. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, just moving out to go no. defecate once in a while. Down the, oh lord! Um, anyway, the um, we our, our our research is really fun because we realised that the the inner ear of species is usually really um, highly conserved. So basically, your inner ear and even your inner ear um, are going to be exactly the same shape. They're, they're, they're going to look identical. If I took them out or if I micro-CT scanned your head, your inner ear would look exactly the same. Um, but in sloths, we found a load of variation. If you just take one sloth and another sloth and you had a look at them, you know, you, 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 you analyse the inner ear, we found massive differences in the shape of these semicircular canals. And knowing that that's the organ of balance, we realised that it isn't really... There's, there's no point in uh, um, cons- um, uh, conserving that shape because it's just not really used it hasn't been under the pressure of natural selection to have a very very specific shape and so you find a load of differences just between individuals because they're not really used very much so so random random variations have happened and it's had no no impact whatsoever on their survival or not yeah it doesn't really affect the individuals because it's not something that they depend on an awful lot just because they spend all their days hanging around and every other animal that we analyzed they all had really like really really similar inner ears between individuals you could hardly tell differences even like when when they're aging the inner ear stays really, really similar, and yet just 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 in sloths because they have this strange lifestyle, um, they uh, um, uh, have this enormous amount of variability in this uh, really beautiful structure that's like deep within their brain. Well, so, skull. So, which came first? You're saying we're attached to the balancing or the hearing, or have emerged over time? What do we not know? Well, um, th- uh, in mammals we have semicircular canals, but if you go like further back, um, there are similar things to semicircular canals. Like in fish, there are sort of semicircular canals, yeah. but they're not as um, I want to say advanced. You know, they're, 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 they've, they've kind of evolved in a different way. Um, hearing has also kind of gone in its own direction. So in fish, you have these things called um, um, otoliths, which, which which also affect kind of balance. If, if, if you imagine you've got almost like a bowl, um, then there are these really um, uh, hardy, weird bone-like structures that kind of rock around and move about in in, in the organ of, of 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 balance, and that tells them exactly where they are. In in, in addition to these semicircular canals, whereas in mammals we've become really really um, um, we're, we're, we're completely dependent on these amazing semicircular canals we've got, and also that that cochlea, the um, the, the the thing for hearing, um, that's that's something that's usually just found in mammals as well. Like the okay. the, the, the actual spiral of, of hearing, that's oh. that's that's like a uniquely mammalian feature. You don't find that in anything. So else. we've got quite good hearing then. Yeah, 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 we do. And in fact, the um, um, there's there's loads of stuff about the cochlea, like how how long it is and how many spirals there are that actually can tell you about the frequencies that animals can hear. Oh, of um, course, because it needs to be the the, the right uh, size to. Rest 
resonate at whatever frequency. Yeah, sure. So, and, and, and so when, when we find um, uh, uh, fossils uh, um, uh, of, of, of mammals and we find the bone that the inner ear was um, uh, um, uh, contained within, we can put it in a micro CT scanner, we can, we can fill in the gaps inside, and then we've got a lovely 3D structure of the inner ear. And from that, we can tell things about balance, but we can also even see like what it could hear, whether it could hear amazingly high frequencies or low frequencies. So you can do hearing tests for the dead. Exactly. It's really, really cool. Like, and, 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 and this is something that only we've, we've recently been able to do in the last sort of 10, 20 years, just because now we have the technology that we can scan something like a micro CT scanner or, or you, you know, if you imagine like a CAT scanner that you put your head in. But we can do it to such amazing resolution now that we can take a bone that's only like, you know, a few millimetres long and we can get all this information out of it. It's really cool. And also, I suppose, have, stu- have studied enough, enough ears to know that there is this variation from which you can determine these facts. Yeah, sure. Rather than just having, a few, you know, just, just, just bunging, you know, human ears in there. Now we've got like all, you know, this, this, this range of species. But this is, this is definitely what I do in my PhD, just looking at a lot of different inner ears and uh, <laughs> colouring in x-rays. It's <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, but um, 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 Ice Age, great film, but maybe Sid the Sloth was just moving a little bit <laughs> too fast. <laughs> so we, we mentioned mammoths brief, briefly earlier. Um, so there's a, um, a trilogy of novels, which is actually, I think it's sold as one book, uh, by Stephen Baxter called The Mammoth Trilogy, which oh, has, right. um, is it, kind of, there were three tales. One of them is set in um, the, in the past sometime, mm. and that, where it's, written, it's all written from the point of view of mammoths. Um, so the... the, the, the I think it's third person, but it's narrated as if you were reading it as a mammoth, not oh. as a human. And so, in the in, in, in the novel set in the past, they encounter humans. Okay. Um, which, um, well, my knowledge of um, of mammoth chronology doesn't <laughs> doesn't really let me know whether that's 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 realistic or not. Yeah, it's totally realistic. Um, 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 absolutely, um, uh, humans, uh, Neanderthals, and mammoths all around at the same time, hunting each other, running away from each other. Um, yeah, and as I said, like you know, m- mammoths potentially still around like about five, six thousand years ago. That's, mm. that's incredibly recent in comparison to some of the other sort of um, uh, Holocene and Pleistocene um, uh, mammals, like the um, giant ground slice, which went extinct a long time before mammoths. But um, yeah, they're all around at the same time. But there's, and there's, there's no particular reason why mammoths couldn't be ar- couldn't have survived till today. Um, all other things being equal, oh, um, I w- that's a tricky question. I, mean, I, guess, um, I guess I guess I guess that, 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 of course anything could, could survive yeah. till whenever. But the, the, the reason I ask is the second uh, book of this trilogy, maybe, mm. it's the, maybe it's the first. I forget how the order works. Yeah. Um, involved is set in the present day, and there's, ah. a, there's, there's a remote island, a remote Arctic island, where mammoths have in fact survived, and so oh they, they come my. back into contact with um, hunters in the present day. It's really fun, and, 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 and you can tell the, the, the mammoths can't quite figure out what's going on they're talking about fire sticks and so on yeah. but, but you the reader can, can, can read into it and figure out that okay there, there are some hunters who are trying to kill the mammoths and present them as you know, these amazing trophies yeah. and there are some scientists who are, try- who are use- also carrying weapons mm. but they're trying to you know, only for their prote- own protection they're trying to capture the mammals and preserve them it's a really interesting concept, like thinking about how uh, how species could remain in a place if they're in isolation or an island. You get things like island dwarfism, so the species could have changed a little bit. But potentially, you know, we can find specimens. Uh, um, sorry, specimens, uh, animals—that's what they're called. Um, uh, a long time after we 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 thought they'd become extinct. So this is something that we call Lazarus taxa. Um, after Lazarus, who's this chap who's supposed to be, you know, brought back from the dead um, in um, um, some Bible story. Um, but Lazarus taxa, there's um, there's 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 quite a few. So um, if we imagine there's uh, something that we thought had gone extinct about 11 million years ago, um, it was it was it was sort of rodent. 
which has recently been found um, in the last decade. Oh. Uh, 11 million years um, gap. That's, that's, that's a pretty big gap. And it's called uh, Le- Leonastes. It was found in Laos. And it's this really amazing rodent which has kind of survived in isolation. And it's got a completely um, bizarre form of musculature around its skull. So, so it's radically different from other kind of rodents. Just, just because it's been on some island somewhere yeah. untouched for literally millions of well, years sure. but the thing is it hasn't been untouched because I've, 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 I have a colleague who actually um, uh, went over there to try and you know have, have a look around and find some specimens and he was just um, in a marketplace and ended up finding um, some just for sale as kind of a tasty snack and, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but no, no one's no one has ha- has been in, has had enough of the various bits of knowledge to realise this is this animal that elsewhere in the world people have thought has been you know, lo- long dead and gone yeah exactly like um, and, and, and another really I mean you know really famous example of this is the coelacanth, yeah. um, which 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 was you know obviously known as, as as a fossil fish for many many years. And then in 1938, someone just trawling, fishing, picked one up off the east coast of South Africa and uh, just you know shook the academic establishment. It was like, wow, this thing is still alive. You can find these um, these these taxa, these animals, millions of years after we thought that they'd become extinct. So maybe it's conceivable that mammoths are around somewhere looking. Uh, uh, I mean, they they were big guys. I don't know. <laughs> much harder, much harder to hide in a nook and cranny somewhere. Well, this is the thing that obviously like the um, um, so extinction in itself is is, is quite um, a recent concept um, so in in the 18th and 19th century people started thinking oh actually maybe um, some specimens or actually some 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 animals might actually have just disappeared forever because some fossils have been found but obviously we hadn't really explored the world as much as we had now so perhaps these animals you know these these dinosaurs or whatever could could still be around somewhere but as as we you know uh, voyage places and, and we discovered more of the world and realise that actually, yes, things do go extinct. Um, and in some places, obviously, it's really difficult to try and work out if an animal is still there. Like like, like, like in Tasmania, for instance, the Tasmanian tiger, there's, there's always loads of you know, um, uh, people saying, oh, there's a sighting or something. But it's a really weird, rugged, difficult place to actually look around. Right. Whereas if you think of a place like um, the Yangtze River uh, um, uh, Delta in China, um, this is a really easy place to try and find animals like the Yangtze River dolphin, which we now know is extinct because it's it's it you you can actually take a boat go up and down that river and just look, look at everywhere and just look everywhere stick hydrophones in the water and know that there's no sign and this is the only place that they lived in the world and and it's definitely extinct right so sorry that's a bit of a sad note to end on but, well, um ma- ma- yeah maybe we should maybe we should uh ha- have a take a moment of um <laughs> not silence but sort of uh noise maybe <laughs>
So that was In the Blood by Pivot, as it, well, spelled PVT. Yeah. For, for legal reasons. Well, they used to, yeah, they, they, they used to be called Pivot, and now I think they're just uh, PVT, the awesome band. They used to be like part of a really cool jazz trio called Triosk, and uh, this is what they're doing now. So, In the Blood. Why did you choose this? <laughs> this, um, I chose this because it... Uh, okay. So when I was a kid, obviously I said that I, I, I watched Jurassic Park and I was at my nan's house and I was very, very scared. Another very important thing in my life, I think, happened when I was at my nan's house, again, and it had to do with watching TV and watching films, and this was watching uh, a really odd 1987 film called Inner Space. Have you ever seen this? Yep. Yeah. I, I, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> um, so, so this is kind of uh, based on an old... 1960s film uh, called uh, Fantastic Voyage, which is this like really great, almost like B movie sort of film about a submarine that gets shrunk really, really tiny and goes inside this person, and they have like an hour to find this tumor and to blast the tumor and save the world or something like this. Um, <laughs> but, but 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 the ship's only going to stay shrunk for an hour, so all jeopardy. Um, <laughs> but that would go wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, be- be- before they start getting attacked by white blood cells and lymphocytes and all this business. Um, but in Inner Space was kind of like a comedy version of. of this film but there was something about the idea of just being injected into someone and like being inside a body it just freaked me out as a kid it was really weird and yet now I find that I I I now study the insides of animals it doesn't really make much sense not sure I don't really know where the hell that came from but um, (laughs) But, um, but, but, but you're not being shrunk and and put into them I'm not being shrunk oh no I've said too much I can't (laughs) it's like amazing research at Cambridge but but it was just a very peculiar um, idea And, and, and it's kind of fun as well thinking what it's potentially possible now with with various te- technologies that are happening with with nanotechnology and what we can um, do I, I, I don't know whether we can't shrink people we we can shrink little robots we can control and use cameras in and so on so that we can we can move an avatar through the body of yeah. you, you can get these pills you take and they've got cameras in them and you can watch it as it goes through you that's extraordinary oh, wow. that's cool I mean they're quite big pills actually to be honest <laughs> as pills go they're like mammoth pills see then again this is something that would have absolutely freaked me out when I you know when when, when, when it was little five year old six year old Nick Crumpton but now I just um, that's fascinating and it's a, lot, it's a lot lot better than someone sticking a camera down on a tube let's be honest very true I wouldn't wish that want that to happen it happens it's something interesting that I found though um, um, Inner Space um, no not Inner Space Fantastic Voyage the old 1960s um, film with Raquel Welsh and all these people in it apparently the, the, there was a novelization that was um, uh, written up uh, it was supposed to come out after the film came out but the film took a little bit of a while to come out to um, uh, theatres and it was written by Isaac Asimov he, oh, wow. and he completely rewrote the story well not completely rewrote but, but added, add, added in like um, uh, loads more <laughs> realism as it were um. Um, and um, yeah did it wasn't stuff. a submarine that was ridiculous <laughs> it was a spaceship but he really got to grips with like how so, so, so there's a scene where like one of the characters has to um, I, I don't know like traverse the, um, uh, the the optic nerve to get to the front of the eye and all this stuff and he really went to town like working out how big this person would have been how many miles it would have been to get from one you know um, from, from like the back of the eye to the front uh, of the eye subjective miles for that person because they've been shrunk you know a hundredfold or whatever exactly but you've got to you know work out their stride length and all this stuff right. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't realise that and then when I was reading about that I found that Kev- oh, I'm really going to nerd myself out here but Kevin J. Anderson I don't know if you know yeah this. no author of uh, trilogy of Star Wars books yeah that's how I know him too <laughs> oh god um, anyway apparently he wrote a sequel um, of this uh, like like based in this whole universe or uh, based, based on this research but it was like an alien autopsy it was like tiny little people being shrunk down in a little submarine going into an alien 
Oh, peculiar stuff. I don't know why I started thinking of this when I was going to be coming on this show, but I thought I have to talk about Inner Space. We had, we've had two emails in. Okay. The first one says, good face. Hey. <laughs> Who's that aimed at? I guess it's at me. The, cam- the camera's pointing at me. Nice face. And the it's second good. one, from a completely different IP address, but it's still anonymous. Hey there. Oh, it's good. Again, probably. You know, Captain, oh. Captain Goodface over there. So, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll um, thank you for those emails. Maybe I should have brought my horse head mask. <laughs> <laughs> we have two people listening as well. It's the latest. <laughs> <of them. laughs> Hello. That is actually a good point. We now know we have at least two listeners or one person with two computers. You know, I just thought it's, it's just um um. So inner space and, and and all these things of getting shrunk down really small. There's a you know there's a lot to think about. We 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 were talking about scale before and like you know T Rex being like absolutely enormous and, and and being so big it couldn't run. Like if you got shrunk down really really small, that changes everything. The effect like, of gravity on you is yeah, much sure. much stronger is or weaker this, weaker. Isn't this the thing that if you take um, um, hamster, I don't recommend you do this, and you chuck it out a win- window, its tunnel of velocity means we just sort of go, what the hell are you doing, yeah. rather than actually anything happening to yeah, the this is just, uh, But it also helps they're full of fluff, which means they got built in power. <laughs> so this, sorry, that's ridiculous. Um, but yes, um, so there was this um, uh, uh, research that came out like um, a couple of weeks ago that just reminded me of, um, of like the, the smallest fly that's ever been discovered now. It's like a millimetre in, in length or something, it's incredible. Oh, no, no, it's, it's a lot less than a millimetre, because there's so you know, trip, uh, the thrip, sorry, thrip, thrip these okay. little black dot things that someone's getting yeah, such a monitor yeah, yeah, really yeah. There is a parasitic fly yeah. that lives in them. They're like folid, uh, forid flies or something yeah. like this, yeah. And what's incredible about them is their neurons are so small, they don't have nuclei. So, like, our red blood cells don't have nuclei, but yeah. they've had to adapt neurons to make them smaller. And they're smaller than some amoeba. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's, they're, they're, they're smaller than they're a single-celled <laughs> organism. And yet um, they're still apparently functional Yeah, they, they, they can fly, but, but, but you have to think, like, if, if, if they're flying through air, then they're not going to be kind of, like, you know, really flapping and pushing against air. They're just going to be sort of wading <laughs> through this almost treacle, like, um, um, uh, uh, stuff all around sea them. Sea of atmosphere. Yeah, exactly, and, and it completely changes what you, your, your definition of what air is like when you're that small. You're literally just like a boat, or you know, or a submarine, right? And and there was a, was, it, was it an episode of Farscape in which they got shrunk. Yeah, so in one of the Farscapes, uh, the crew gets shrunk and put in containers to carry them around. <laughs> and it, it's one of these things that one of the characters has an existential sort of crisis, going, "Ah, how's this possible? <laughs> uh, you can't shrink atoms, and if they shrink me down, then my brain will be smaller, and I won't be able to think properly." And yeah. and the person just turns around and says, "I've you know been on the ship long enough to know that these things happen." <laughs> just <don't laughs> oh, this is this is one of these um, like sci-fi. By in, uh, uh, characters realizing how ridiculous their situation is, where, where someone says, you know, for example, "Hey, this is this is ludicrous. I've been shrunk down. This isn't possible for all of these reasons." And the answer is, "Yeah, well, you live on a spaceship." Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, as a, a fair point. Uh, and another listener, different IP address again, is now telling me to keep away from a guinea pig. Yeah, you should. That's, that's <laughs> bad advice. F- f- everyone listening, don't just stay away from your small. Mammals. Also, you know, <laughs> uh, hamsters and guinea pigs have very different physical proportions. You know, uh, I th- 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 this might not work with all rodents. It would probably not work with a cap- capybara. <laughs> 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 they're they're much, much, much less fluffy. Much uh, they're, they're 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 kind of very large, uh, well, very large hamsters. But they're about you know a meter long, really chunky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's it's very surreal to look at one. I, I saw one in the in the flesh in the fur yeah. a few months ago, and yeah, it was it was it was, it was a, you know, a few meters away. But even so, I was like, wow. You know, if you took a picture of this, I could believe and, and focused it appropriately. I could believe that the animal's just a really long way away. It's a no- normal-sized hamster surrounded by a very large plant. Except yeah. the thing with rodents is, as you get them larger, luckily the teeth don't scale at the same rate because <laughs> hamsters have massive teeth. Yeah. Guinea pigs have bigger teeth than hamsters, but at least they're not as big to the size of the animal because that would be enough to take your head off. 
We were talking about Ice Age before, and we were talking about mammals, and you've just reminded me that there was a fossil that was found recently that looked exactly like Scrat from Ice Age, and it had these really, really long canine teeth. Oh, wow. And, and that was, like, in the Cretaceous period as well. So, like, loads of people talk about, you know, the, uh, the, the age of the dinosaurs as being, like, when mammals were really small and they were in the shadow of the dinosaurs and they couldn't really, you know, um, uh, diversify into loads of different forms. And yet we're starting to find, like, loads of really amazing, like, really strange mammals that were evolving at the time. You know, they, they, they were going into all these different ecological niches and stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know why. They're just just uh, they're long teeth, hamsters, long. rodents, all the same. Long teeth from the fossils, it looked awesome. There you go. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll come back in a moment to um, collecting various little animals and things as we go along.
So that was Collector by Here We Go Magic. Um, so there's one particularly famous uh, <laughs> <laughs> scientist of collection. That was a very scientist good collection collecting scientist. Really good segue. Um, <laughs> I try. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've I've got a better segue for you. Um, how about um, so uh, Cambridge Fens? Um, if you imagine back in uh, the eighteen of uh, would have been like the eighteen twenties maybe uh, when Darwin Charles Darwin was a student um, here. He was um, he was going around looking for insects, collecting bugs and whatnot, um, and he found this um, this 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 crazy little bug and, and, and he had no way of, of um, uh, uh, grabbing it because he already had a bug in his right hand and he had another bug in his left hand. <laughs> a problem we all face. Problem we all, <laughs> we all face. Um, so he just decided to um, put one of these uh, beetles in his mouth because obviously that's a good choice. Sure, yeah, um, and um, uh, this then uh, r- uh, released a, um, um, an enormous amount of um, uh, toxin and acid into his throat <laughs> um, <laughs> which he then had to spit out and he lost all his beetles. Um, but <laughs> not, not only the one in his mouth but the one in both hands. Uh, the one in both hands as well because it was, it was a pretty accurate horrible thing but that was the crucifix ground beetle um, that he picked up, and for fifty years it hasn't been found in um, the Cambridge Fens. Um, it was it was completely absent. And uh, recently, um, one of the students here just um, came across one, and it was like, oh wow, it's still here. That's fantastic. Did, did, um, did, did they lick it to make sure it was? The same yeah, one? maybe did they stick it in their mouth? I don't was know that, if they did. Was that the one that was in Charles Darwin's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he he did an awful lot of, uh, and, and if you actually go to the um, uh, museum of zoology here, like we um, um out in the displays, his bug boxes are out and um, uh, various things that he did, and, and also in the Sedgwick Museum, uh, which is um, uh, just across the road, it's the Earth Sciences Museum. Um, there's loads of his um, uh, geological equipment and stuff that he used when he was out on the Beagle, um, which I found out the other day. He was actually um, so so I'm 26 now. He was 27 when he came back from his five year yeah, voyage. Yeah, it's, it's wow. disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously he came, yeah, he came back and he, you know, he had all these amazing ideas, you know, seeing the Galapagos and, and, and South America and, you know, finding giant um, ground sloth fossils when he was out there and all this stuff, having such an amazing time. And, um, yeah, I've got a year to go before I'm that same age. Mark, get, get on a boat. Get on a boat. Just go. Let's go. Well, he, well, this, this, this is the ridiculous thing about um, Charles Darwin as well. Cause, I mean, did, did, did you guys see um, uh, the film uh, uh, Pirates! Exclamation mark, um, an Adventure with Scientists? Sadly not. Yeah, sh- I guess we should. It was very, very good. It was, it was, it was, it was made by the same guys that did like the Wallace and Gromit films and all this oh, stuff. Oh, cool! Um, but it was based, I think, on a book that had already um, uh, come out. And um, it was uh, in, in America. It was released as a Band of Misfits, not an Adventure with Scientists, because um, that might have put off an American audience. I don't know. But Charles Darwin is a major character in this um, uh, film, and he's kind of this snivelling, peculiar character. Not, not, not a pirate. Not a pirate. No, he's um, so the pirates. They, 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 they attack this ship, um, and ha ha! It turns out it's the Beagle, and he doesn't have any treasure. But actually, his treasure is all the amazing, you know, um, natural specimens he has. Yeah, um, but it's 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 kind of interesting going back and reading like his uh, Voyage of the Beagle and his um, um, all his letters from the time and everything realising like how he kind of was a little snivelly back then he was definitely a landlubber he wasn't I mean he got seasick an awful lot and, 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 and wrote about it every time and wrote about it an awful lot yeah you and I would probably struggle on the Beagle on the Beagle they, were, they weren't nice shit <laughs> It's yeah, not, you know a lot about this. It's actually. not a cruise liner. Let's be no, honest. No, no. Um, but it was. Um, yeah, it was, it's. It's. Uh, he, he, he's basically just um, uh, his well, one of his professors here at Cambridge, um, Henslow, who um, uh, started the botanic garden here and everything. He, he basically said, "Hey, Charlie, here's a great you know uh, opportunity. You should totally go." And he ended up going on the ship with you know Captain Fitzroy, who then went off and like created the um, uh, meteorological society and um, you know tried to um, get his head around um, non 
linear dynamic equations and all this sort of stuff. Um, so he was a fascinating chap too. Although he killed himself because he couldn't work out the weather two days ahead. That's a peculiar Ooh. story. Ooh. Um, that's, that's, that's yeah, dark, <laughs> no, it's quite dark. Damn, my results haven't come out. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. Um, um, we'll but, open up the crypto market though. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really odd to see this. Um, uh, you know, Charles, Charles Darwin's character in the um, uh, film. Obviously, he was a massive character of um, Charles Darwin himself. But it is, you know, he he was he wasn't great on a boat. It's a shame. Which is a bit of a shame. Poor, poor, poor guy, but he did some great work, great work despite it. So oh, yeah, I've heard. heard. He did some great work. This or that. I, I think his work will catch on soon. I think he will Hopefully. start listening to it. Uh, but I think, I think it's about time to start wrapping up, sadly. Yeah, okay. yeah I think so. It's, it's, it's been really great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, thanks, very, thanks, very thanks for, coming. for um, inviting me in. It's been lovely. So you mentioned... Well, I, I, I mentioned that you... Uh, uh, involved in blue side what, what 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 can people look into about that yeah um so um the uh, uh the big 25th um uh, uh special uh, edition has just come out it's um, um it's like a bumper blue side um science magazine which you can find in colleges and departments all around the university um i'm the co-editor of film as well so if you want to get involved with um uh, filming things just um have a look on the website um find the contact details and and send me something if you want to get involved and also um there's the blue side radio show which we just checked is on tuesdays at five o'clock uh run by Anand uh, Jagatia. It's a really, really great show, and occasionally uh, I'm on that, just sort of um, um, chewing the fat with him. As, as, as you have been today. Okay. Um, well, so that's all we have time for. Next week we'll be joined by um, marine biologist and broadcaster um, Helen Scales to oh, talk wow. about the ocean. Lovely. Yep. Yeah. So hopefully you get some lots of seahorses there. Well, <laughs> see you there.